2: Hello, and welcome back to the Celtics Lab podcast brought to you by betonline.ag. I'm your host, Cameron Teptevai, alongside Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. The February 10th NBA trade deadline is rapidly approaching, and in order to understand what the Celtics might do, they have to understand what they can do. And to break all of that down, we brought on former editor-in-chief of Celtics Hub, Ryan Bernardoni aka Danger Cart. Ryan, how are you?
3: I'm doing well. Um, probably about as well as the Celtics right now after two straight wins big uh you know it's no i'm doing very well how's how are you and and everybody else you are doing
2: as well as the celtics i feel for you because (laughs) i'm almost they're not not doing well spoiler alert they're not doing well uh no just two
4: straight that's all that matters
2: yeah that's all we can hope for in this our second year of the pandemic justin and alex how are you
4: i'm doing okay you know that game last night was Not the most pleasant watching experience, I'll be totally honest. Uh, And The Celtics in general have kind of not been that as of late, but we'll take the wins any way we can get them. And the Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown agenda is strong and the Titans are the one seed. So that's all that really matters.
5: Doing that too bad over here in Mexico, getting a new apartment, it's official. So this is not my new apartment. This is uh, my bedroom because my normal office is a yoga studio now. So new background
3: this victorian cat wedding is my apartment
2: (laughs) and uh justin is has to do some editing because i ruined our first intro so justin is being nicer he's actually mad at me right now anyways ryan we brought you on to not talk about cats or apartments but to talk about the celtics and the trade deadline and you have a flair for being somewhere between realistic and maybe pessimistic although you're usually right so i would say realistic so when we talk about the trade deadline, we'll get into some cap minutia because that's important for the Celtics, and we'll also get into reading some tea leaves with um, an eye towards reality. But first, let's talk about the news, and the news of the day is that the Celtics maybe aren't doing so great since we last talked, they had an ugly game against the Spurs. They had an epically ugly game against the Knicks in that big collapse. They then went on to beat the Knicks, and then last night, we're recording on Tuesday. They barely eked out a win against the Pacers. So Ryan, I'll go to you first. This was supposed to be an easy stretch for the Celtics and yet it has been anything, but how are you feeling a few games into January? Again, with the narrative that this was supposed to be, you know, an easy slate of games.
3: Yeah, shockingly, a roughly 500 team over the course of a year plus is 500 over the last couple of games. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's an easier slate of games, but you lose one game in there and suddenly three and one becomes two and two. And, you Mm -hmm. know, it's more of the same. Uh, The Spurs game was not a surprise to me because I've been a Celtics fan long enough to watch them lose to the Spurs for the last forever. (laughs) Um, And so even though the Spurs aren't very good, it doesn't matter. You sat there watching that game going, oh, they're making every little 12 foot floater. The Celtics are just have no way of winning this game, no matter what they do. Um, And so it was I was sort of resigned to that fate from from a long way Uh, watching that that first Nick game was a brutal experience, maybe only surpassed by watching the victory against the (laughs) Pacers which was really I mean I know it's already been touched on like one of the worst games that you'll ever see. um, In the sort of modern NBA, right like you have I guess there were a lot of games like that when I was growing up and a basketball fan in the 90s, but you don't you don't see many games that are quite that ugly anymore, but two and two is two and two and if you're going to do that you all feel better if you win the second two instead of the first two just because it makes you feel better um so you know it it's not a surprise we kind of know what this team is um and i think there were some positive changes that i'm sure we'll talk about that i don't know how much you can say they you know led to to winning that pacer game or not it's one game it it doesn't how much of a, of a difference it makes, it, it's hard to say. But I think there were some changes that we saw that we've, a lot of people, myself included, have been clamoring for that um, will hopefully lead to some better results as the schedule sort of continues on being a little bit easier for the next couple of weeks.
2: Cool. And um, you're right. First of all, we're slated to talk about those things, but also that might be the most important takeaway from at least the Pacers game. But before that, Alex, I want to go to you. I know how much you love Jalen Brown. We saw a 50 burger from Jalen. I don't think we've talked about that. We saw triple, double, triple, double from Jalen. We definitely haven't talked about that. He was pretty damn good last night in that ugly Pacers game as a Jalen Brown fan. How are you feeling?
4: I mean, the Jalen Brown agenda is going strong and has been for some time now. I've never really uh, been able to get off of that one. And, you know, it's weird. I, uh, I'm not the hugest Bill Simmons fan in the world for a variety of reasons, but uh, he came out the other day with the take of it would be a disastrous idea for the Celtics to panic trade either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum uh, with the results of this, knowing how this season is going in spite of that. And um, I couldn't agree more. So Bill, shout out to you, man. Uh, you got it right on this one. Um, I just think. Jalen Brown keeps proving every game how valuable he is, both as an NBA player generally and specifically to this team, who frankly would be so unwatchably bad without uh, their two superstars and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Amidst a stretch of largely disappointing and frustrating play uh, for this whole season, the one kind of resounding bright spot has been that, Jalen and Jason are really good. It's just about getting other guys around them who can actually play
2: basketball. Fair enough. Justin, anything we missed?
5: Honestly, at this point, I am just trying real hard to stay focused on the games while like a lot of people, I think I've kind of just checked out on any kind of assessment of what this team is until they start making some moves ahead of the deadline. So I guess that's where I'm at.
2: Yeah, and it it makes sense. I mean, it's good for clicks. It's good for downloads to talk about trades, but the actual basketball matters. And Brian, you alluded to this. So let's let's start there. Udoka has kind of shuffled the deck a little bit. Uh, We have a few ideas in mind, but as a fan, as someone who keeps an ear to the ground, what are you noticing about the Udoka rotations that looks different and looks promising?
3: Yeah, so I think the one that stands out for everybody and that has been talked about a lot across all of Celtics fandom is that closing five group. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw last game that even with Smart injured in uh, in the middle of the game, it wasn't Dennis Schroeder who was on the floor at the end. It was Josh Richardson, who you figure that will be Smart when Smart's back. And then sure. um, the, the maybe sort of bigger one is that it was also Grant Williams in there. So you had uh, Richardson, Tatum, Brown, and then grant and, and rob williams together and that just stands out as like the most obvious unit that you would want to close games with there with with smarten instead of richardson there might be some nights where you want to have richardson in there and, and grant williams out but that sort of five of those six with those two guys being who you're choosing from just seems like the most natural combination there you can get horford in there as well in some instances right like you can go out and coaches can coach and they can ride a hot hand and things like that but in general that's the, the sort of structure of a lineup that makes the most sense and it is sort of frustrating that it's taken that long to get here. Um, I think it was reasonable at the very beginning of the season to see if, if you know, Schroeder or Horford was the right player there. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just obviously that that they're not. Uh, and I, I'm assuming that that's sort of where most other people are, because it seems like that's very much um, the sort of general consensus across the, the fandom there. Um, before I do, I, there was one other thing I actually wanted to throw in there about Jalen, if you don't mind me going back one. No, yeah, of
1: course, yeah.
3: I think jalen's triple double is obviously notable in part because it had assists in it right like that's the thing is that he doesn't get many assists and i think it was interesting maybe a little bit overlooked that in that pacers game even in a game that was that slow and that low scoring where they just couldn't get anybody going he did have six assists in that game as well Mm -hmm. and so that's another thing that i think comes out of some of those changes of like schroeder coming out a little bit and then that game smart was out it's like you need these guys who can handle the ball more horford didn't play a ton and like empowering him to do some more of those things. And like, I would love to see 20 assists in the next four games, right? Like you may have a game in there where he has got two, whatever, you know, that kind of thing, but like seeing, and that's probably more than what you're really going to see, but right. Like seeing that continued growth in in his game as well, that also comes out of some of these lineup changes, because you know, Grant Williams, isn't going to handle the ball that much. And Robert Williams, isn't going to handle the ball that much. And so shifting around some of those lineup, um, you know, configurations where you do empower, not just Tatum to handle the ball, but also Jalen, and and empower him to make mistakes along the way. Hopefully, not at the end of the fourth quarter, but in the second quarter, uh, is I think another thing that maybe is a bit of an indicator that you can can look out of those two games. Now he may have five assists over the next five games total, and then you're like, okay, well, it was nothing; it was just a little fluke. But when you're looking for like any little indicator coming out of these games, that's another thing that I think stood out a little bit.
2: Yeah, and I felt the same way. I- I forget who, I think Ryan, you said this on Twitter during the Pacers game, that they're moving the ball really well, the Celtics were. And maybe it wasn't you, I don't know. But it it did look like they were intentionally trying to actually create offense in a way that they don't always do. And it just, the shots weren't falling. And kind of to your point, I'd rather see the effort and see the intention than necessarily see the final result. Now, in the fourth quarter, that completely fell apart at times. And the Celtics got somewhere between lucky and unlucky to, I guess, finish that game strong. I mean, I I, I don't know who looked towards the Pacers or the Celtics, but that was just one hell of a ride. So, yeah, I I do think the Jalen stuff is interesting, but it might be a symptom of hopefully a larger trend that the Celtics are just sharing the ball more.
4: And I do think that in addition to them, like visibly making an effort to share the ball more, a lot of it does have to do with lineups, right? Like who's mm-hmm. playing together. So Schroeder, I think is very good at a very specific set of things. Uh, you know, he's like, uh, Liam Neeson and Taken. Um, I'm just, I, I talked about Bill Simmons once and now I'm going full Simmons mode. This is a disaster. We should scrap this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but uh, you know, he's got a specific set of skills And those skills are charging headlong at the basket, getting contact, throwing up floaters that are difficult to block. Uh, That's like his main thing. That's what Dennis Schroeder does. And I think that's fine uh, in a limited dose. But at the end of the day, in a closing lineup, you just can't have a guy who is stopping the ball that much and taking that much time to get into his offense and ultimately creating Primarily for himself. So thinking back to the kind of collapse against the Knicks, you know, a signature play that kind of stood out to me is the last play that the Celtics ran, where they were pretty clearly trying to design an action uh, with Uh, The plan, I I think, based on the look of it, was that Schroeder was supposed to basically drive and then kick the ball out to Smart, who would then kick the ball over to Tatum for a three. I think that was the plan there. And instead, Schroeder just went completely solo, drove straight into the paint where there were three dudes on him and turned the ball over. And I just feel like that's really indicative of the fact that so much of this, uh, whether the ball is moving or not, depends on who is actually out on the floor and in what combinations. So if Schroeder is out there, that's fine. Just know that the primary other dudes on the floor with shooter should be rebounders, uh, people who are gonna clean up his missed shots or uh, people who can kind of create and isolate on their own. Uh, if you have shooter out there in a lineup that requires ball movement to succeed, that's not going to go very well. I don't know.
2: So th- that's, I mean, that's going to be part of our longer conversation is who fits in where and whether or not they're long for the Celtics. But I think the prevailing story of the past few days, frustratingly and relievingly all at once is that the Jays aren't going to be split up. First and foremost, Shams Tarania of the athletic has reported as such the Celtics have no indication that they want to split the two up. But secondly, the, Jalen and Jason have come out and said in post-game press conferences, we've talked, we want to play together, we want to figure this out. And I have a question about whether or not they ought to kind of burden, (laughs) carry that burden of of narrating that. But Ryan, just in general, do you believe that the Jays aren't being split up anytime soon?
3: No, I can't imagine that that they will be. Uh, Okay, I say that I can't imagine. I can imagine, right? We can get into this conversation about, should you trade, should you do this? And and the part of that that too often gets skipped is for what, right? Right. Like, are there trades that I can imagine where I would say yes to moving Jalen Brown? On the basketball court, certainly, Um, as a fan, I just like him. like I like him as a person and I enjoy rooting for him. And so separating that, the same thing happens with Marcus Smart, right? Like, I can certainly envision trades that I would make for Marcus Smart, but I don't want to trade Marcus Smart because I'm a fan of the Celtics and I like him personally. So I can imagine trades that you could say, would you make this trade? And I would say, yes, but I can't envision a realistic scenario where they break them up. And I think this conversation has to be framed in a, in a big picture thing, right? You go through a lot of this stuff, like you said at the top, we're getting towards a trade deadline where you have a lot of conversations about sort of big picture versus little picture and what your your goals are. And when you're talking about two players of this magnitude at this age, you have to be talking about big picture. And one of the things that I've been really interested in over the last couple of years, is sort of a shift in the league where for most of the history of the league, you see these teams that draft a player at the top of the draft, that player stays with the team for quite a long time and they win titles with that player if they draft a great player. And in the last 20-something years, you really haven't seen players drafted in the top five go on to be the best player on a title team that drafted them, Mm -hmm. except for LeBron leaving Cleveland and coming back. It's basically like Tim Duncan and Dwayne Wade once. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: And, And there's reasons that that makes sense, right? Like you're drafting players much younger than they did in the 70s or the 80s, certainly back into you know the early days of the NBA when you're drafting like seniors coming out of college. And there's more ability to move players and like you have to have a certain amount of patience or you're going to draft these really good players at the top and then see them win their titles with other teams. And so you just have to be patient and understanding that like, yes, these players want to be winning right now. And yes, you've made it a certain level up the mountain and you feel like any backsliding is a disaster and you have to talk about whether or not you're going to break these players up, but like really what you need to do is have them here when they're 27 and 29 years old in their primes and not have those primes come on other teams where they then reap the benefits of all of the investment and development that this franchise will have put into them. And so you just can't be impatient at a bad time. So, Yes, I can imagine trades for Jalen Brown, but no, I think it would be a terrible idea to to do anything rash at this point with them. And and I just can't imagine that that's where Brad Stevens' head is right now.
2: Yeah, I think the longitudinal history of the league is a really important one, and it's not a fun one as a fan. I mean, I don't know if I'm going to go because of COVID, but I have tickets to go see a Hornets game in January. And so I don't want to be thinking about, like, what's the five-year plan with Jason Tatum that night? I want to be thinking about that game. But I think you're, you're completely correct in saying, A, what is the likelihood that a high-level player wins a title with the team that drafted them? But then B, if you look at the past 20 years, right, it, you have to be Giannis or LeBron or uh, Curry or Kobe or Duncan to win a title. And maybe you get lucky. Maybe you're the 04 Pistons or the 06 Heat with a young D-Wade and an older Shaq. But by and large, you need a generational talent or a collection of established vets in their prime or post-prime, where they're smart enough to actually know how to win. And with respect to Jason and Jalen, a 25 and a 23-year-old, there's no historical precedent for them winning a title together in the modern era. It would be super cool. I'd like it a lot, but it just isn't really a thing to expect in the NBA. Does that mean that you should not contend or try to win games this season? Absolutely not. But I think hopefully Brad Stevens is cued into this. And I, I, Ryan, to your point, I hope he is patient and ownership is patient in the right ways to understand that, hey, they only have so many years in their contracts. They need to be happy. They need to see growth and vision and they need to feel like they're excited to be here. And without naming names, it's not helpful for television personalities or uh, web personalities to lampoon these guys for having an off night when we know they're still growing. And as we'll discuss, the, the team around them is wildly imperfect. So I, I'm going to segue because this is my question. I think it's, part of my French, I think it's bullshit that Udoka and Stevens haven't gone on the radio, haven't said something to the effect of, stop talking about the Jays, they're not going anywhere. Because a, two kids, 25 and 23, they shouldn't be in charge of saying, we have decided for ourselves that we're good enough for this. I'm not saying they need to be protected, but it's not their responsibility to tell the media, even if they're asked what the plans for the future are, the coach and really the front office should step in and say, stop asking about it. It's a non-issue. And if it's not a non-issue, I don't know, leak it. Let it become a story. Let the athletic have a day of content with it because Jalen and Jason having a heart to heart about whether or not this works, Ryan, to your point and what I'm outlining, that's beside the point because it's a five-year project. It's not a thing we're going to decide in March and April. So they shouldn't be the ones who have to talk about it.
4: I want to give some credit to the front office here because Brad Stevens actually has done that. So he's gone on Toucher and Rich a couple of times this year. Uh, The Celtics GM has a kind of, I don't know how recurring it is, but a semi-frequent check-in with Toucher and Rich on the radio. And um, he, he has stated pretty adamantly, whenever it's been brought up, whether these guys should be broken up, that he has no intention of doing so for the time being. Cool. Now, wrong. He,
1: cool.
4: well, I, I do agree that I think there is something to be said for him being maybe a little bit more vocal about it. Uh, and, you know, I think Brad Stevens is, in most situations, a pretty low key guy who tends to not get involved in media things as much as possible. Uh, in the way that, you know, some other GMs, <laughs> Daryl Moore, might not be. Um, but, you know, I think for, to his credit, Brad has largely answered that question with, we don't plan on it. Ime also has not spoken on that at all. But I think given that he's a rookie head coach, it's pretty hard to expect Ime to really speak on that uh, to and to, frankly, to offer significant uh, commentary in general about, kind of roster building and personnel construction. I think he's he's still trying to kind of establish himself within the organization on the floor. So I wouldn't be surprised if he hasn't really spoken a whole lot about that. That being said, Brad, I think based on everything that I've heard and seen from Brad, I don't think he has any interest in breaking these guys up. And I think in some ways you can even interpret the Shams kind of press release recently stating that the Jays are not going to be broken up um, as a way of Brad and Zarin kind of subtly saying that through Shams who is the world's greatest water carrier for NBA front offices.
5: I will say that Ime has gone on record saying that he believes they can play together, but he's very careful to just like move the conversation to another area as fast as possible. And no one's really gonna ask him about what the front office is gonna do cause it's not his role. And you would just kind of shoot that question down anyway. But it is kind of strange that the Celtics organization for an organization that likes to keep such a tight lid on everything, it's kind of strange that they haven't been a little bit more engaged with trying to shape this narrative. Or maybe they haven't, we just haven't noticed it and they're that good. I, don't, I have no idea, but I have noticed a, a bit of, shall we say, lack of interest and even engaging that narrative.
2: So I think everyone's in agreement that it's a ridiculous thing to consider at this moment in time anyways, but we have to do our due diligence. And speaking of which, here's a few other things that uh, came up in the news this past week. So we'll, I want to get to Jabari in a second because that actually triggers a lot of things. Uh, Neesmith and Bruno went to Mon- uh, Maine for a little bit, and uh, Aaron looked pretty good, quite frankly. Maybe he should spend a little bit more time there if he's not going to get burned with the, the big boy Celtics. Juancho uh, is being targeted by Real Madrid, which if the Celtics can get off his contract in a moment, we'll talk about why that's important to their salary, but I don't know what Real Madrid is seeing. It's certainly not Juancho playing meaningful minutes. And a couple other things, Taco Fall cut by the Cavs, unfortunately, Yabu, uh, Gershon Yabuselli, an extension with Real Madrid. Gerald Green, unretired, he's trying to make back into the league. He's in the G League. And uh, Allison Feaster is a candidate for the Portland GM job, which would be, you know, that's, I wish you had more time on that, but I want to keep it moving just because Jabari getting cut low key tells us something about maybe where the, the tax situation's at, which uh, unfortunately for the Celtics, we can't have a trade deadline conversation without talking about the tax. So Ryan, I'm going to tell you what I think I know, and you can correct me where, where I'm wrong and what's most important, but. First of all, cutting Jabari opened up a roster spot and it saved $100,000 off of the cap. So now the Celtics are $4.6 million in the luxury tax, which you know, for a 500 team probably isn't cool to ownership. Jalen Brown would drop that uh, $1.4 million if he does not make the all-star team. Although I wanna see him make the all-star team selfishly. Uh, If he plays fewer than 66 games, that goes down a little bit more. Uh, If Rob plays fewer than 70 games, which looks like that might happen, it'll drop it uh, about half a million. If Jalen Brown misses, so Jalen can miss three games, Rob can miss four. The lowest figure that the team could get to is $2.72 million in the tax. So first of all, Ryan, I didn't explain that super well, but am I wrong about anything? And second of all, what do you think the team's appetite to spend even that small tax bill is this moment? So the, the actual answer to that is that I am
3: unsure about their exact position (laughs) related to the tax. And I believe that just about everybody, even people who spend a, a great deal of time looking into these things, should have a certain amount of uncertainty around, uh, their exact position with the luxury tax. And that's completely normal. That's every year we are uncertain about these things. Now, there are people who are pretty certain, like Bobby Marks, who seems to have um, more of a line, as you would expect, into like the exact record keeping of what's going on in the league. And I believe his number right now is 5.5 million above the tax for where they are, and that that could drop to, uh, I think he was at 3 something, 3.8 or something like that. If... Um, if Jalen did not hit any of his, any of his incentives. Okay. I don't think Rob has an actual incentive in his contract for now. Well, he doesn't right now because he's still on rookie scale. So um, next year, yeah. So he doesn't have any incentives right now. Um, There's a weight one for smart, which I think he'll pass just by the way. He looks this year, a body mass index. I don't know what, and Wancho has one that I'm completely uncertain of what it is, but. I believe it's a likely incentive that he's made despite not really playing much. So I don't know what it is, but I believe that it's expected that he'll make it.
2: Before um, we recorded Ryan was like, yeah, I'm not as plugged in as maybe I have been in past seasons and you know about Juancho Hunter Gomez, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> like I just know that it's in the sort of
3: public sphere of this. Now, part of the problem here with the, the specifics around Jalen is that when he first signed his extension, there was reporting from Chris Haynes, I think that had what, you know, some information about his incentives. And then I think Jay King put some things out as incentives. And as far as I can tell, both of them were wrong, but they have been very persistent in the reporting that's out there on things like real GM and and stuff like that, that the actual structure of those incentives are wrong. But All-Star we know because he made All-Star last year and got paid. And then we know the 65 games because last year he played the final game before he shut down for the season that put him over his incentive, which I think
2: Mm -hmm.
3: was a, you know, a decision that they sort of came together and said, I'm going to play to this point, get the money, and then I'm done, um, which I really don't have a problem with. But they're in that range of like three and a half to five and a half. My accounting says 5.7. Uh, Keith Smith's accounting also says 5.7 right now is what they're over. But it's like I said, it's a little bit sketchy in there. Um, and yes, they do have an open roster spot. And so you have things like if they were to trade Dennis Schroeder into nothing, into somebody's TPE, they would have to refill that spot. And so you have to think sort of in the bigger picture, like what would it cost you to bring in a minimum salary player, things like that. But they're in that sort of range um, in terms of the tax. And yeah, it's unfortunate that we seem to be talking about this every single year around this time. Um, I think they would like to get under the tax. I, from what I've been told, they have not been given a directive that they have to get under the tax, even at their, their current level of performance, but that their budget mm-hmm. is roughly the hard cap, which isn't that much more than where they are now maybe extending to about 10 million over if the team was playing much better than it is now. So I think there's a a realistic thing that like, if they can get under, they would like to, but it's not necessarily an ownership directive that they have to, and that if they end up 5 million over, then that's sort of reasonable and part of their plan.
2: Yeah. And I think you're right that it's a bummer. It's not a sexy topic and it's not, I mean, if people are still listening, they must be diehard capologists, but we have to talk about these things because they, they kind of set the precedent for what is possible. And if we're right that the Celtics are in a five-year window to compete, well, then the repeater tax is something to really keep an eye on. If, if ownership is anticipating paying the tax in 2024, 25 and twenty-six, taking a year off from that might be really valuable down the line. But let's put a pin on that because that's really what we'll get into in the Celtics lab. Uh, Before we wrap up the news, I just want to point out that, yes, the Celtics have a pretty easy January. They'll get another crack at the Pacers Wednesday night, perhaps before you listen to this. Perhaps not. I'm not sure. That's up to Justin. Justin, do your thing. But then they do have a game uh, at Philadelphia, which will be on the difficult side. Uh, And then at home against the Bulls, which I think we're all shocked by how good the Bulls are. And unfortunately for the Celtics, they'll be going up against the Patriots. But if you're a Patriots fan and you like to place online sports bets, BetOnline AG is the place for you. BetOnline is wishing everyone a happy new betting year and uh, happy continuing on to the march to the playoffs for football and eventually for basketball and hockey and everything else. BetOnline remains the number one spot for all your sporting wagering action in 2022 online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Alex, I looked at BetOnline.ag and right now the Patriots are a plus four against the Bills. What do you think about that? I think that's probably about right. I think that's going to be a
4: pretty close game. I have the Bills favored. So if I were betting on this, I might take the Bills money line, but that's just me. It's currently at minus 192. Um, another bet that I'm looking at is So I know that it's impossible to suss out what's going on with these teams, and this is a basketball podcast, but uh, football football fan listeners, the Cardinals and the Rams are playing as well on Monday night, and the Cardinals are plus four. I have to say, given that Matthew Stafford has repeatedly betrayed me in fantasy football, coming from me, I think that Cardinals plus four line is a pretty good one. So I might look into that as well. But if you want to do that, you can head over to, again, betonline.ag for all of your betting needs. You've got odds there. Uh, You can lay a little money down and win maybe on the Cardinals or maybe if you're smarter than me, betting on the Rams because I'll probably get this wrong. It's, again, betonline.ag. Head over there now to deposit and win.
2: And i just add that if you use the promo code CLNS50, To get started, you get a 50% off welcome bonus, either mobile or desktop. So use the promo code CLNS50, go ahead and get a 50% welcome bonus while you either take the Cardinals or uh, the Rams, depending on if you think Alex is you know, full of shit or not. Anyways, let's hop into the Celtics lab. Let's talk about basketball. That's why we're here. And Ryan, again, we have to talk about what the Celtics can do at the trade deadline, not necessarily what they might do. We'll get to that after. And so we do have to talk a little bit about logistics. So let me run through the things that they cannot do, and if you could, either you or Justin, maybe explain why that is the case. So here's one thing they can't do at the trade deadline or at this offseason. They can't sign free agents outright for more than the VET minimum or the biannual exception. Um, Any extra reason why that might be the case, Ryan?
3: I don't know if they can use the BAE. Even better. They can't in, in terms of where they are now because it hard caps you and it would put them over the hard cap. They could make other moves and then use it. But I'm there's a really not it's not particularly complex, but it's complex to talk about in terms of the convertibility of the mid level exception and how they signed Dennis Schroeder and the timing of what when the league categorized it. I don't actually know if they can use the BAE. I, I believe they can because technically Schroeder has been signed as the MLE and they could that means they could use the BAE and invoke the hard cap. If he has been already converted to the, to the non-tax ML or to the, um to the, yeah, to the non-tax MLE, then that um, would eliminate that option. But it's, they're not going to anyway, is the long and the short of it. Like, mm-hmm. unless they drop down and have another roster spot and somebody gets in the buyout market and they really want to go after somebody in the, I, I would expect that, yeah, at some point they'll probably sign somebody for some 10 days and for a minimum. But, you know, the BAE, they'll just hold on to for next year.
2: Yeah, so if you have your eyes on a John Wall buyout or something like that, don't anticipate the Celtics being players in that just yet. Another thing they can't do, this is more for the offseason, resign or extend Schroeder for more than 120% of his current salary. Uh, Danger cart, why is that? Uh, because they'll have traded him to no. an, <laughs> um, yeah, uh,
3: yeah, they signed him for a one-year contract. They only have what are called non-bird rights. So as long as they are over the cap, they could not sign him for more than 120% of his current salary, unless they were to use either, you know, fall way under the, and then use cap space, or, you know, potentially they could use the, the mid-level exception to, to resign it for more than that. But I am hoping that this is a conversation that is irrelevant a month from now.
2: <laughs> and if you're a listener and you're confused, just do what I do and just DM Justin and Ryan directly asking questions and they'll answer you immediately. They love doing it. It doesn't bother them at all for you to do that. So if you ever you're confused, just use them like a personal concierge for solving these problems. That's what I do. <laughs> Uh, I have another one for you, Ryan. Why can't they trade Marcus Smart before January 25th?
3: Uh, and why can they trade Josh Richardson before then, I guess, is the... Yes, please, platform.
5: please explain this because there's so many people.
3: Yeah. Just tell <laughs> Justin's can't. DMs, it's me. <laughs> right. So it, there's, there's something called an extended trade which can be done. It's rare, it's happened a few times in recent years, but for a long time, the only one that had happened with was Kevin Garnett coming to the Celtics. And the extended trade rules say that when you trade for somebody, you can sign them to an extension, but only for up to 5% uh, starting salary in their extension, 5% more than the last year of their current. And so there's a rule that basically says, if you have signed somebody for an extension for more than 5%, then you can't trade them for six months um, because otherwise you could, just reverse it, right? You could sign them for an extension, pretend it wasn't part of the trade, wait a week and then trade them off. And so there's this waiting period that you have to go through. Smart signed an extension with more than a 5% raise. So there would be a six-month waiting period. It's less than six months because of the truncated schedule related to COVID and how last season ended, and how this season started. So it's cut uh a little bit less than six months, which happens to be that that date in January, instead of a date that would have been after the, the trade deadline. So That's why it is. Richardson signed an extension for exactly 5%, which was very clearly so that they could trade him without having this waiting period. Now, the reality of the trade deadline is that trades go down at the trade deadline. It would probably now happen at the trade deadline anyway, but that's Mm -hmm. the difference. Smart got a bigger raise than 5%. He had a trade restriction. Josh Richardson got a raise of
2: 5% and so
3: had no restriction.
2: Fantastic. And I have one more for you, a thing the Celtics can't do. The most Shakespearean of them is uh, the poison pill that Robert Williams the third has in his contract. So they can't trade time Lord for an even salary match. Why is that Ryan?
3: Yeah. Uh,
2: so the poison pill <laughs>
3: is something that happens um, when, again, you sign an extension off your rookie scale contract. And, and basically what it says is that um, he counts for his actual current salary of 3.7, a little under 3.7 million for the Celtics and outgoing salary, but he counts an incoming salary for the team receiving him as the average of the remainder of his contract, which would be 10.3 million. So you take the four years of his extension, the last year of his rookie extension, add it all up, divide by five. That's what he counts incoming. So then the team receiving him would have to send back a salary that matches that, which would then likely not match the salary space that the Celtics have. Now, all of this becomes largely moot because they have trade exceptions that could make this all work just fine. Uh, hopefully they aren't trading Robert Williams because he's very good and young, and they should be ha- including him as you know part of their their building project unless they're making a, a pretty big move forward. But um, yeah, that's what the poison pill contract does: is it basically fudges the dollars to make it harder to trade. His contract extension is not enormous. It really becomes a problem if like you know the twentieth pick in the draft signs a max extension, and then like the math becomes almost impossible to work through. But mm-hmm. in this situation, it wouldn't actually be that big of a hindrance if
2: they had some reason they were trying to trade him. All right. Fantastic. So obviously they have to like match salaries and the usual minutia, but there's a few things again, that if you're on, instead of doing your work at your place of work or at school, you're on the trade machine. There are a few things that maybe are a little too complicated for the trade machine to understand. So hopefully Ryan and Justin helped you with that. Alex and I were (laughs) patiently listening. It was way over our heads. We teach history. We don't teach math. Anyways, let's talk about what the Celtics can do. Uh, either before or at the deadline, which is February 10th, so less than a month. It seems like we're in agreement, a blockbuster deal with Jalen Brown is off the table. I don't think any one of us would push back on that. However, they could make major upgrades. So Ryan, I'll go to you first. Say they wanted to not do a blockbuster deal, but a pretty big deal. I don't know, Karis Levert or Harrison Barnes or something like that. What do you think is an attractive package the Celtics can put together and the likelihood that they would deal said package?
3: Um, it's hard to figure that out at the moment. Um, it's hard to figure out valuations of a lot of players around the league because, as you know, the sort of thing that you talk about at this point is it only takes one team to fall in love with a player. And right. so, my expectations for the value of a player might align with 20 other teams and be wildly different from the other 10 teams right any one of us could say the same one of us could love josh richardson and the other one think that he's garbage. And there could be a team out there that agrees with either one of us and and that becomes sort of the structure of a of how you find trade balance right the the team thinks lesser or more of a player than some other team does and so you get a trade. Um, Richardson, I think, is the sort of natural place to start with that type of trade, because he has the right size salary and because he's playing pretty well he's playing pretty well he kind of fits with what the celtics need right now as well and so that's the mm-hmm. the hard part of all of this is this team good enough to be putting in draft picks when they don't have an excess of draft picks? they have all their own draft picks right now but they don't have like other draft picks to burn at this point and so You know what kind of trade are you really structuring that gets the team better but it's not a giant trade where you're trading Jalen, but you think it's worth giving up multiple picks and like hindering yourself into the future if something else bigger comes along and i just don't think it's out there i don't think that this team at 500 with where they are in terms of what we're talking about with Jalen and jason's actual timelines in terms of like contention should really be doing that um and so there are moves that they should absolutely be looking at. But you know, you're know, you talking about like, is, does it help the team? You know, what's your personal opinion on Josh Richardson for Kyle Anderson, right? Like that's not a big splashy move that everybody's gonna wanna talk about and fall in love with. But like, that's a conversation that reasonable people could have and the two teams could reasonably have and decide that that works. If you're talking about bigger things, like really big you know, sort of borderline all-star or, or above level players, I just don't think it's out there, unless, obviously, unless you're talking about Jalen, and then that's the conversation we don't particularly want to have right now because it just sort of spirals wildly out of control into, you know, crazy town.
2: Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a shame. I think there were there was a world where Aaron Neesmith or Marcus Smart or, uh, I guess, conceivably, even Horford could be kind of the crown jewel in a, a sort of quasi-all-star trade, right? And Robert Williams probably played himself out of that conversation. He's probably a little too valuable. And now the Celtics, I, I suspect, don't have the ammo to reel in a, a third or third and a half star the way that everyone seems to wish that they would. It's also difficult with the teams that are out there. Sorry. Like, if the Bulls were
3: bad, then we could have lots of conversations about Zach Levine. Yeah. But the Bulls are better than the Celtics, right? Like, mm-hmm. the, so some of that is is also comes from that, is that those conversations that we thought we might have at the beginning of the year have kind of dried up because of the, the shape of the standings.
2: Yeah, we wanted DeJounte Murray so bad, and now he's, he's no. way too good. There's no way the Celtics could trade for him. Well, but I do think that there is something, though, to the idea of
4: the lateral move as kind of being valuable in and of itself, which is that, you know, to your point, Ryan, I think it's pretty, it is true that, you know, teams kind of value players wildly differently across the league. If you think back to kind of the rumors... That were happening in the off season for example the fact that like the Minnesota Timberwolves were at one point like in love with Marcus Smart and really really wanted to get him now that might be bullshit but it might not be and I think that just it's stuff like that that kind of goes to show that 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 conversation of who values who really matters so when you're talking about those kind of lateral moves it might be the case that Trading a Dennis Schroeder or trading a Josh Richardson for a player that is, you know, of relative equal value, but the right team is in love with could be the route to getting that package, the kind of the non-Jalen, non-Jason, non-Rob package that can net a kind of bigger fish. It might just be kind of shuffling the decks, getting different role players and different vets who... Uh, fit, you know, another team's vision. And it might also be a result of decks being shuffled for the Celtics, other teams changing up their rosters as well. So I think the Celtics should definitely be looking to make moves, but fans shouldn't panic if the big splashy move is not coming at the deadline.
5: I don't think it is coming. I think that, you know, we could have read the tea leaves and some of us have read the tea leaves, I think really from the beginning there was a very good chance that most of what the season was gonna be about was unscrewing up the mess Danny angel left the team in. So no offense, Danny, it was a pretty bad situation. And at this point, I'm looking at one of Juancho and his unguaranteed next season salary uh, or Dennis Schroeder as being almost certainly traded into space just to make that, that dip under the tax. Mm-hmm if we can get like a second rounder, uh, there, was a, there was a fake trade by Dan Favelle, uh, or Favelle, I'm not sure how to say your name, please don't kill me, uh, a bleacher report talking about getting Joe Ingalls to the Celtics, which I did not think particularly realistic for both parties, but I did see him leave a door open to trading Dennis uh, into the trade exception, uh, the, one of the trade exceptions that the Jazz have right now. And if they were willing to give up like a, even a mediocre second for that, I think that's the kind of return that we're going to be seeing. Nobody's giving up a first-round pick for Dennis Schroeder right now, at least not the Dennis Schroeder I've been seeing.
2: No, God, no. So let me do this. Let's go around the horn. The rotation, we've said it enough on this podcast. It's, it's a little too bloated. Too many guys need touches to get into rhythm, right? So let's go around the horn. Ryan, I'll go to you first. What's the Outside of the Jays, and, and I'm going to say now, and Rob, what do you think is the most pressing rotational change either get so-and-so out of town or bring such and such a player in and hopefully it kind of works in terms of uh, good tax outcomes but if you daydream a little bit here that's okay so around the edges what's the most important thing that the Celtics need to be considering for the trade deadline and Ryan I'll go to you first yeah I mean moving
3: Schroeder is the obvious (laughs) one again right (laughs) Uh, it's just it makes it makes too much sense to to keep you know to move him it's um it was reasonable to sign him the money was just like it's at this rate you have to take the chance on it and it just it hasn't worked um for a variety of reasons and it, i feel a little bit bad about like it almost would have worked really well if he had got if when everybody got covid at the same time and like if he had simply had his covid period when the right other players had covid he would have actually been a really helpful player for the team. Like in the games, when Pritchard was getting burned for 40 minutes, like if if he had been available in those games, you would have maybe would have won a couple extra games with him and it would have worked out quite well. And then you would have traded him, but it just hasn't And the fit you know, we can, you can go around and around on it, but like, that's the, that's the thing. The one that I've been hammering on for a couple of years now is that the player that they need is a, big wing who is a big three and D wing. And like, yeah, the whole league needs big three and D wings, but it doesn't mean that you don't have to go get them. Like it's not a coincidence that Jay Crowder always plays on good teams. It's because that type of player is is really good. And so it's the same names that I've been bringing up for however long, right. It's the Larry Nances and, and Kyle Anderson's and, and that type of player. Now Grant Williams play has somewhat mitigated that need, but you do need more than one of those guys. And Grant has his own limitations in his game um and you can't really ever have too many of those guys so that's still the, the guy that you i think want um i think a lot of fans will say well we're, we're, what they really need is a pass first point guard who can do this and that and, like i don't completely agree with that i i don't think that there's a point guard good enough out there who is going to be able to like take the ball off out of jason's hands and at the end of close games and like it's not really going to make that much of a difference um i think they would be you know it'd be better just to give that empower smart more with that but i mean others can certainly disagree with me on that i'm 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 not saying that i'm some genius on this and and I'm would be like crying if they went out and traded for for that type of point guard but i still think like dennis out big wing in is in general what you're hoping for and is probably more than you can fairly expect and that it will be more about removing guys than adding guys
2: yeah to your point i i think i'm right about this that richardson and grant williams are the leading three-point shooters on the team right now And so they're they're the de facto three and D wing-ish players, although neither one of them is like a perfect wing. And I think that that, I guess, could work, but really probably you need an upgrade there. I'm inclined to agree. Pretty hardcore. Uh, I I also am open to the suggestion that the Celtics don't need a, a table setting point guard right now and that actually removing Schroeder forces the team to pass the ball a little bit. I'm bummed because the tax conversation and some of the caveats that we laid out before make it impossible to find a world where Goran Drogic, uh ends up playing for the Celtics. But... Um, oh, I've got one. Please, I've got the fake please, trades for that. If you want, if when
3: we want to get into fake trades, we can talk about that. But I think that that conversation is much more about... I think the conversation you have to have before that conversation is about where you are with Al Horford at this point and where you are with picking up his option next year. And if you think yeah. he is has... His diminished play in the last couple of weeks, month, whatever has made it where you might be declining his option. And if you think that that's where you are with Al Horford, then it really does open up kind of interesting trade conversations around what teams might want him and would see that they would plan on keeping him next year and what they would have to to give back. But that's a, again, personal feelings about certain players matters so much in this. And the personal feelings of 30 decision-makers out there matters a lot in this. And if you think that Al Horford is a $8 million player and you're going to decline his $12 million add-on option next year, then that's, you know, something that you really have to consider in the next month. And so that's where I think things like Dragic comes into play more is, is a Horford conversation.
2: Cool. I love, I love that you said that. I'm so happy you're here. Uh, Okay, Alex and Justin, what's the biggest rotational change that you think the Celtics need to address by the the trade deadline?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it has been kind of addressed, but the big one for me, and it's the kind of drum that I've been beating for some time, is that I think you know, and we've talked about it already in this pod that the Celtics do have something with their front court of Robert Williams and Grant Williams. And that pairing just needs to get more run in general. And I think that kind of naturally flows into the Horford conversation for sure. But in general, those guys need to play together more. And I think there's just kind of a logjam right now of, a bunch of specialty players on the team that are good at specific things that maybe this team doesn't really have much use for. You know, I like how Josh Richardson has played and I actually think that Josh Richardson could be a good piece for a different version of this team, but the version of the team that we have right now doesn't it, it's relying a little bit too much on Josh Richardson in situations where I almost feel like you know you you might just need and i was talking about this on twitter today you might just need a pure dead eye shooter in that closing lineup to kind of break up the log jam and you might just need to kind of take your chances with that player maybe being a defensive liability you know i'm thinking of like team playoff teams that have like a JJ Redick or like a Danny Green or, you know, a Kyle Corver, obviously those guys are pretty hard to find, you know, these kind of lethal shooters that can uh, punish you with just a second of open space. Like there's a reason that those guys are in high demand, but at the same time, I think The big thing for me is finding a reliable wing shooter of some kind to plug into this team and then have a situation where your closing lineup is some combination of like Marcus, Jalen, Jason, Grant, if you need him in the right spot, Rob, and then if you're not plugging Grant in for defense, having just like somebody who can come off of a screen and hit a shot for God's sake, I'm just traumatized by that Pacers game. Terrence Ross is who you're talking about, right? I would love to have that's Terrence the conversation. Ross. That would like, be would you rather have
3: Josh Richardson or Terrence Ross? And yeah. again, it's an eye of the beholder conversation because you can make the argument either way. And and I think you're absolutely right. Richardson now has a contract that's relatively long and two years from now, you might be being like, oh, we could really use a Josh Richardson type. Um, and he is shooting 40%. He's got a slow release. He's not a around screens and catch and shoot. But like, that's a realistic conversation about like who, who values which of those players. And like, I wouldn't want to give up a draft pick to change Josh Richardson into Terrence Ross on a 500 team. But like, that's, a con- you know, again, it's not like an unrealistic thing to be talking about.
5: I just want to see the team on board talent again. If you think back to the early years of Brad Stevens career, the front office gradually hit a bunch of singles getting players like Isaiah Thomas, for example, now we're not gonna get another Isaiah Thomas, obviously, but just going through the process of being willing to move players through the organization to see if you can find something is something that they need to do now, like right now, because they're not really gonna have the same amount of time or ability to do that in the future, particularly if they're trying to make a larger upgrade. So I really want to see them start using these open spaces on the roster to start using Player contracts to see if they can get guys in and see what they could do in the limited time that's left in the season, so that way they know whether or not they are worth keeping for the future, and to do so in ways that aren't necessarily going to hamstring the team for the future. Like Cam Reddish is somebody who's very exciting to me, and I don't see how Boston is going to necessarily have the the tools to get in on a deal like that. But if they are really looking to to consolidate their roster over in Atlanta. That is the kind of deal, if not the deal, that I want them to be exploring.
3: Well, I think that you can also, a player that I mentioned already, you can get those players through much smaller moves. And, and this is where you sometimes have to rely on your scouting and your analytics guys, where I know that when they made the Rondo trade, they were, offer, they could, they were offered the ability to choose either Jay Crowder or I think it was Ricky Leto. Mm-hmm. And they jumped. They were like, oh, Jay Crowder that's who we want because scouting and analytics and those sorts of things had said, like, we think that this is a real player. And it turned out that he was a real player who's been very valuable and across his time. And so one of the things that happens in there is that you have to then give those players opportunity, right? Opportunity, opportunity, and fit is something that I think has been a a big topic over the last, this season and last. Um, But sometimes you do get those players by, like you said, sort of shuffling through guys and getting a look at players and giving them an opportunity to, to get out there. And like Wancho, I think was a player, who was a reasonable pickup in that same way of like, well, he's had some good seasons and some maybe he'd be a perfect fit. You know, can he shoot? He's a, you know, six, nine, he can maybe shoot the ball and, and it hasn't worked in, at all. I don't expect him to be on the team possibly at the trade, you know, after the trade deadline, but certainly not next year, but churning through some of those guys and being able to find minutes for them is an you know, is something that they can also do right now when they're sort of a 500 team that, isn't going to be winning the title. Like they should be spending instead of playing Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown 38 minutes a night, they do need to give some minutes for either their young players or players that they acquire, who they're at least interested in, in some way, but maybe aren't big, big splashy names.
2: Yeah. And your Brian, your point before is their golden handcuffs in a way is that they can't be perceived as backsliding. Right. And so, especially with a rookie front office and a rookie head coach, they don't really have, or maybe they don't think they have the leash to do exactly that. Anyone who has covered the Celtics in the mid 20 teens knows players were coming and going and Brad Stevens caught lightning in a bottle either through skill or through luck or both. And maybe that's how this roster was designed was part of the French, let's throw some shit at the wall and see what sticks. But there hasn't been an opportunity to see what is sticking because players like Quancho and, and Richardson and Pritchard for that matter, just don't get consistent enough burn to be this diamond in the rough for Udoka because there's a a few too many balls in the air. Um, I wanna keep it moving. I have kind of two things. We'll have to kind of shelve, maybe our talks about the off season and Ryan will have you on for the off season. But first, and this is a bummer, but again, Ryan, you're, you're a realist and that's why we love you. At what point, and maybe you're already there, at what point do you think you would want the Celtics to transition the directive at the trade deadline to be, either they are stone cold sellers or they are starting to be proactive about next season. As in, we're not here to make moves to get better for this spring, but these moves are all about next year. Are you there yet? And then if you're not there yet, what would you need to see in the next few weeks to to get you there?
3: I think that they could trade anybody below the, probably Robert Williams, maybe Grant Williams line and have it have zero difference in the fate of this season. So mm-hmm. by all means, <laughs> trade away. Like you can trade Al Horford, you can trade certainly Schroeder, Richardson, E. Smith, Lankford, like, you can go down the line and really uh, short of those four or five guys, the guys who come in and replace them are not going to, maybe you win one game less, maybe you get lucky and you win two games more. Like it really, I don't think it makes that much of a difference. And while it's nice that they have all their own draft picks, they don't have any uh, anybody else's draft picks. And I don't, unfortunately, I don't think any of those players have the value of getting anybody else's first round draft pick, but they could really use another first round draft pick somewhere out in the future. And I just think that where they are now, like you're going to win or lose in the playoffs because Jalen and Jason play really well. And Rob is good and hopefully is healthy. And Grant makes some shots and Marcus is Marcus and anything below that, it doesn't really matter. Like it might, it would, those kind of guys matter in the Eastern Conference Finals, trying to make the finals, things like that. But like, they're going to lose in the first or second round anyway.
2: So, you know, start to start to look to next year and, and down the line. Alex, uh, a little more optimistic or have you figured out how the NBA works?
4: I mean, I think that I want to keep my optimism. I, I, I am optimistic just in the sense that like we have Ta- Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on the team along with Rob Williams and as long as you have those three guys I think there's always the shell of something to build around and you know maybe the shuffling of the decks works and like you bring in a Kyle Anderson and he's the guy that unsticks the offense and suddenly the Celtics are ripping off you know six seven eight wins in a row that would be great um but in general you know I think it's kind of getting to where what what we've talked about through this whole time which is that you know, the the best path to the Celtics title run is and has been for some time, Jason Tatum becomes a top five player and Jalen uh, Brown becomes a top, you know, 2015 player. And until that happens, any moves that are made around the edges, around the margins, well, they might help, they might assemble a better team, you know, for making a playoff run. But ultimately, if we're talking title here, it either needs to be that or it needs to be that they acquire a third star at some point and they don't really have the ammo to do that so why not just you know treat this as a development season where like markers of progress are jason and jalen continue to get better rob develops into a quality starting center and you shuffle the decks until you get maybe some diamond in the rough guys i think that's fine
5: i'm ready make it happen I don't see any point in waiting even a day. I wanna see them get this roster slim down as they can in terms of people actually getting on the floor. And I want to see them getting the players that they want to to maybe see if there is something there, assuming they go that route, um, on the roster as fast as possible for as many games as possible. If someone will even give us a nice second rounder this season from a bad team, pretty much anybody that Ryan mentioned, as movable, I want to see gone. I I, I love all the people on this team. They're great people. I I really enjoy following what they do on and off the court, but in terms of not smashing my face into my keyboard on a night-to-night basis, they've got to start moving. They've got to start doing things.
2: Josh Richardson seems to love Boston. I wish he was more forthright about his vaccine status because I like rooting for him, but maybe also I don't. so I, I'm largely in agreement. I'll just round out with my own opinion in that. Uh, I liked the wounded Coyote Celtics. I mean, what a metaphor that was, right? So Justin, to your point, streamline the rotation. I know that it's a COVID year and that's a little easier said than done, but let the Jays cook, give them Rob, give them smart, give them a few other guys to ride with and then otherwise sell for parts or start showcasing guys. I mean, that's what I think January should be about is Neesmith looks great in Maine. Cool. Let him flounder against the Pacers or let him flounder against the Magic. I mean, if this dude is the real deal, he'll either rise to the occasion or at least rise to the point of bringing back a little bit of ammo. So I don't know. I'm, I think a few weeks ago, I was still optimistic that the Celtics could compete. But man, the Bucks look so good. There's just no way. I mean, forget the Nets. Screw them. The Bucs are so damn good. And it would be cool to go to a conference finals, however heady that might be, but they would just get their brains bashed in by Giannis and Co. So self parts plan for the future. And to that end, I'm going to just say that probably they shouldn't pay the tax this season to take a year off and not already be in the repeater tax when next year is still a blur. They um, shouldn't care about it. I'll throw it out there. They shouldn't care about it. Who wait, cares? why do you say that? They, they went under
3: last year. Repeater tax is not an imminent threat. They have a ton of money, uh, who cares? Like no fan should ever have to care about it because I hate having to care about it. And I have to talk about it all the time because I the reality of the team, if this is not a season to worry about cutting costs, if they can make a trade that has an over the tax that adds a future asset and they pass on it because of the tax, screw them. They absolutely should grab it with both hands and if they can spend nothing but cash for future assets, take it.
4: Oh, yeah. I'm totally in agreement there. I, I think that, you know, the the tax concerns, I have never been a guy who's cared that much about tax concerns because ultimately it's Wick gross money, not mine. Um, and so... I'm totally in agreement. And I think that actually might be one of the fastest ways to get that kind of missing asset that we've been alluding to potentially that asset, which could be flipped for a first round pick, the high quality role player that, you know, a championship level or a playoff level team could use and would be willing to cough up a pick for if you have to pay the
2: tax to get that guy, I'm all for it. All right. Spend baby spend. All right. I'm going to ask one last question. We'll do it in 30 seconds each or less, a kind of rapid fire mini game. But before I do that, Ryan, thanks for coming on danger card on Twitter. I mean, anyone who's listening to this podcast, I'm sure knows your voice, either digital or not. Um, so Ryan, first and foremost, thank you very much for coming on before our last question. Thanks for having me. It's been fun. So uh, let's disregard all of the realism, all of the pessimism. Uh, and give me 30 seconds or less your stump speech. This is the trade the Celtics should make. You don't have to have everything, uh, all the I's crossed and the T's dotted. But basically, what's your dream trade at the trade deadline? Either because fuck it, bring on the Bucks, or because you're ready for next season. So I'll go first just because I just sprung this random question on you and it's not fair to make you come up with something on the spot. And I will say that I'm still ready for deer and Fox. He's not had the best season, but I still believe the speed. I would love to unlock the Udoka, the Spurs part of Udoka's brain with Fox at the helm, because if this is a young team that probably historically has no precedent in competing, let them run. So hell or high water, figure out how to get Fox on this team. That's my forget everything. We just talked about for an hour <laughs> trade proposal. Ryan, I hope I stalled enough. What's your proposal?
3: Well, so we were talking about eye of the beholder. I want nothing to do with Aaron Fox. So <laughs> I've watched Dennis Schroeder play and I don't wanna pay five times as much for the better Dennis Schroeder. But um, yeah, I mean, I have too many trades. I have many, many trades that that we, we could go through in 30 seconds. Um, I would try to trade Al Horford and Dennis Schroeder for Malik Beasley and Torian Prince and clear Schroeder off for next year. Um, and Malik Beasley is not a player who I particularly want to root for. And Torian Prince does nothing for me. But um, if we're talking about moving around pieces and looking for fit and trying to set the team up for the future and for next year, um, I think that they could get a, hopefully not Ennis Freedom backup center, um, bring him in, play Rob. Hopefully he stays healthy. If he doesn't, you're not going to go anywhere anyway. And uh, sort of roll from there and, and see what happens. Um, And I think it would help Minnesota who
2: want to make the playoffs. Cool. I can take that. Justin. Josh Hart. Oh, fun. Love Josh Hart. I also like the the oomph that you added behind that. It's not a good clip for video, which is what we're going for these days, but I like it. Alex.
4: You know, I've been a fan of this guy's game for a long time, regardless. And uh, I've really enjoyed watching him play Uh, in Memphis, I feel like he's kind of getting squeezed out of the rotation with this awesome, fun, crazy Grizzlies team that I totally am into. Um, But I would love for the Celtics to go out and grab Kyle Anderson. I just feel like he would be a great connector for this team. He's a fun guy to have on your squad. And I think he's better than a lot of people kind of give him credit for.
2: Yeah, when, when Ryan was talking about that, I almost interrupted him because I knew that that meant a lot to you. I my specific trade there
3: is josh richardson and Schroeder for kyle anderson jared culver who's terrible and either a pick or xavier tillman
4: i would oh my god tillman bro.
3: everybody draft twitter loves xavier tillman i know whatever of tillman um, player whatever if, if it was a pick yes yeah, second round pick whatever but uh richards basically richardson for anderson Schroeder out culver in to balance it a little bit and can you you know get a pick from there that type of trade uh Unfortunately, that, that would saddle the extremely fun um, Memphis Grizzlies with Dennis Schroeder rolling the ball of court instead of racing back and forth. So
2: don't know God. if they'd be interested. I feel so bad. I mean, the, the proof's in the pudding, and he's comfortably compensated for what he does, but no one in Boston is going to bat for Dennis these days. Poor Dennis. Good luck wherever you end up in the next month because it's not going to be Boston. All right, well... Ryan, again, thanks for keeping a level head. Not everyone in the Celtics mediaverse does that. Thanks for your wisdom. Thanks for correcting my math. And thanks for coming on. Really, Truly, the pleasure is all ours. Thanks again. Like I said, it was a lot of fun. So uh, if you're still listening, like and subscribe. Leave a review. It means a lot to us. And we will see you next week.
0: Bye-bye.